Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glenon Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, March 12th, 2023. Hi, I'm John Vanderbilt, the executive pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, I serve as senior pastor. Thanks for tuning in today to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Morning, peeps. Monday morning. It is happy Monday. Almost March Madness. The madness. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Brackets done. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you is guys? Hey, do you have watch gotta... basketball or the Halpins basketball? Does he even know me? Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, I didn't know. I don't know. I thought you guys were we football. We just talked about how great we're doing on the podcast. I'm just kidding. I thought you were a football. Well, Are I you mean, more basketball? We're, I'm just Texas. Simone's A&M. favorite okay. sport is basketball. That okay. is true. I did not know that. It is true. Cool. So this is a big... I have A&M and Purdue in the final. Okay, so A&M is in. You got A&M going. Oh, good for you. (laughs) What seed is A&M? There are seven. There are seven. Okay. Seven they is got the lucky poorly seeded. They should have been in That's okay. That's four why they're going to surprise everybody. My alma mater is a three. I was surprised yeah. about that. That's cool. Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Kansas State. That's a big deal a, for us. They like, are them in the final four. They've yeah. had a year. Yeah. They have had a year. Is the buy-in again at Glen Glowing Bible Church $100 per bracket? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've got Penn State upsetting the Aggies. <gasps> I'm legitimately mad in this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Penn State's on a run. They were in the Big Ten championship. I, I don't even know what to say. I feel I want the Aggies to win, but Whatever. you got to go I'm with I, I am in. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cutthroat bracket we're in here at the church. <laughs> the tagline for our bracket is, what? what is it? I haven't even opened it yet. It's, uh, it isn't simply about winning. It's only about winning. <laughs> <laughs> Man, people are captivated by uh, the tournament. It's it's fun. I, it's fun. I, it is. Gosh, it's just I don't know. It's like people that don't give a rip about basketball yeah. for four months, and then all of a sudden skipping work to go and watch a game. So I was <laughs> so into the SEC championship yesterday, I couldn't listen. So I had it oh. on mute and was listening to Beth Moore's book, Kelly. Mm. Just to oh, bring you back to you the conversation. <laughs> are you loving it? Um, I'm I, about to love it. I'm I have a so feeling. <laughs> eager to read it. I'm so eager to read it. Sherry's already finished okay, it. It's on the New York it? Times bestseller Good. list, and I don't think she purchased any of her own copies. If you're familiar oh, with yes. Evangelical, I know. It's Ouch. really, it's a great book, and I haven't even read it yet. How's that for an endorsement? Yeah. Wow. Sherry says okay. it's terrific. Really I'm listening to it, and it's a different spin. Sure. Is she's she got, reading she's it on her own? Kentucky accent. Is she reading it? She's reading it. Oh, I may listen then. Yeah. But it's, she is so fun. I enjoy her yeah. so much. Yeah. I'm it's, so thankful for her voice. It's a little bit more detailed than I was anticipating. That's why I said I think oh, yeah, I'm about I, to like it. Are you saying it's difficult for that reason? No. I, I'm, I'm. Well. Triggering? No, none of that. It's more like I'm waiting for her to get kind of, we're still when she's like seven. Uh, I guess I'm thinking. I'm she's going to get into the. I'm waiting for it to get a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Just well, to be blunt. Yeah. So who's your 12-5 upset? <laughs> <laughs> Spiritual conversation bother you, this John? Isn't spiritual just... conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's answer questions. We have a All whole right. bunch. We of them. do. We have a whole Somebody bunch. Somebody went questions. off on the Holy Spirit, and, and well, now we talked we've got about two, ninety-eight yes. questions on the Holy. We Spirit. We talked about two things yesterday: Holy Spirits and baptisms. <laughs> so uh, we've got questions. <laughs> All right, here we go. First one. I'm confused about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Great start. I yeah, understand right? he is important and a part of the Trinity, but is there a difference between saying the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and God is at work in our lives? Are the words Holy Spirit and God interchangeable? Um, I, this is hard to answer. I, I, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, it's one God, three distinct persons. So there is a distinction to be drawn between God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son. Uh, but to say that the Holy Spirit is working my life is to say God is working in my life. So um, the Trinity, as the listener reflects here, it is important to understand, uh, which isn't to say we're going to understand the Trinity perfectly. It's a little bit mind-blowing, a little bit mysterious. It's a little bit beyond us. That's not to say we can't understand anything about the Trinity. Some people kind of wash their hands of the Trinity or talking about the Trinity or even trying 
to comprehend the Trinity. It's a beautiful reality that God dwells in community. And so I, I think that we shouldn't be shy in talking about the three distinct persons of the Trinity. Second service, I said something I did not say in first service. I said that Bible churches like us in our tradition um, have a history of the Trinity um, implied, not often expressed, but often implied, Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures as the Trinity. And that is not the Trinity. The, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God at work in the world. And so we need to um, have spirit language to be spiritual people. Anything mm-hmm. come? It's the same thing with, I mean, we're talking about this person brings up Holy Spirit and God, but it's the same thing with, with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we know if it's... Um, you know, something happens in our life or something's going on. Was it Christ? Who's was it God? It? Was Who's it Holy Spirit? It? Yeah. You know, um, I think cultural, there's some cultural mm-hmm. stuff that goes along with that too. Certain churches emphasize different things. And so uh, different parts of the Trinity, c- correctly or incorrectly, I think that generally our, our culture tends to use the word God more in the, the understanding of in conversation, right? Of God and something that is not God, right? So, like God moved, God did this. I praise God. I we don't hear a lot of I praise Jesus. We don't hear a lot of um, language giving the specifics of the Holy Spirit or Christ. Generally, I think our culture's, you know, do you believe in God? You know, I love God. I, you know, and that's let's, true, both. Gi- let's give our lives to God. Let's, you know what I mean? That that tends to be more the language that we use. And I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything specifically wrong with that. But I do think that there's opportunities to talk more about what Christ has done, what Christ is doing, what Christ mm-hmm. has done. Um, and, and the same thing with the, with the Holy Spirit. But I do think that those are sometimes in kind of a more nuanced mm-hmm. way, um, maybe in a smaller group or something like that. I mean, you think of the signs of Amer- in American culture, you know, God tends to be um, the big thing that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you, is it God or not mm-hmm. God? <laughs> right? I think I think of the Trinity in it, in his, it's his I'm not sure which one to say. I think of the Trinity's roles. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, like, I think of the spirit identified as the helper, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. to think the of, advocate. like, yeah, and calling on the spirit in a time of need or, I mean, I was just expressing some of my, um, what I was going through in my, in my head yesterday during the service. And I was praying mm. when I look back, I was actually praying to the spirit, like be present. I'm, mm. I'm longing for your presence now. And I, I think of Jesus as someone I identify with. I, I can read his very, like his humanity. narrative. Sure. His, yeah. yeah. His humanity. Yep. And then God, I, I probably, his role that I think of is, as Yahweh, like he mm. is the creator. He holds mm. it all, you know, well, I guess the Bible actually says Jesus holds it all together, but you know, it's yeah. just, but as the and he creator, was there at creation. Yeah. it's confusing. I know it is confusing, <laughs> but I don't know. I think maybe that's how I help distinguish is the roles of the Trinity that the Bible lays out for us that, mm. you know, they are interchangeable mm-hmm. because they are all God. Mm-hmm. And one, mm-hmm. I'm going to stop before I start saying things that don't make sense. No, no, Heretic. <laughs> no. When I, I hear the questions like, like this, when I hear questions like this, I just want to say yes and no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Like, right. yes, they are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Yes. But at the same time, they have specific yeah. unique functions mm-hmm. where it's clear to me when you read the scriptures, God wants you to see the spirit in a certain light, doing certain things and Jesus mm-hmm. doing certain things and God, the father doing certain things. And that's a great thing to do uh, while you're reading the Bible is when you do see an action or right. something that one, just make a mark and at the top that's of the page, great. put man, the father, the father did here. this, yeah. flip to the next page. Oh, the son did this and just, yeah. and you, it, it's a it's 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 a powerful uh, way to go through the scriptures. Mm, like good. that's a good word, but man. you still find them all. The, but yes, they're all still one. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that, right? So <laughs> yes and no, mm-hmm. right. you know. And there there are unique times where I love how you said yes and no because there are some specific times where they aren't fully interchangeable. The spirit wasn't crucified. Yes, right. exactly. Good and point. I and I don't come to faith in the Holy Spirit 
or to right. faith in yes. God. Yes. I come to faith yeah. in Christ because yes. of what Christ, I believe in that's, Christ. That's it's, really helpful. So you have that's to good. distinguish at some at some level. I can I remember my kids when we were. And it's the Spirit that gives gifts. Right. 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 He's and, the one in, dwelling within us. Yeah. Right. And we will see Christ face to face. Right. Mm. But God is Spirit. Right. right. You know. So yeah. I remember there, there are differences. My mind is blowing right now. <laughs> I remember when we were teaching our kids to pray because you got to teach your kids to pray. Mm-hmm. We're teaching our kids to pray. Um, you know, and you do these things where at you know at dinner time, okay, why would you pray or somebody pray? And sometimes the older kids kind of pave the way for the younger kids who haven't quite learned it yet. And and one of our kids said something that was a little bit kind of off, off <laughs> you know. And and so after you know you can, hey you know. When you're doing that, you can actually, you don't have to say hope. Mm. You can say, you can just ask directly because you're talking to God. And so we started talking about prayer. And I remember a conversation where we said, we got, actually got out scripture and I don't remember where it is right now, but we said, you know, it, the Bible teaches us to pray to God mm-hmm. in the power of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. through the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so when you pray, you can say, Heavenly Father, mm-hmm. to the Father. You're asking the Father, asking God, but you're doing it because you... The Spirit's have the, alive. The, and the Spirit will prod you mm-hmm. to, to pray certain things and encourage you to help you, as Simone said. Mm-hmm. But then when, when, that's when we, why we say things. I think this was actually the question the kid asked. Why do we say in Jesus' name? Mm-hmm. Because the Bible says, it instructs us that we can, in the name of Christ... We can go to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that's a little bit confusing, but to give you an example, uh, give an example of to go to not that we can't pray to the Holy Spirit and we can't pray to Jesus, but the 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 normative way that we would pray would be to the to the Father. Yeah. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father right. in heaven. And so, right. um, yeah. I, it's just an example, another example, right? If somebody's sharing their testimony and they say, "Well, I came to faith in God." And then I want to say, through Jesus, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe in Jesus. Yeah, you know, right. we want to, yeah. that there is a unique person of, of the Trinity that we're talking about. That and suffered we can, and died and was yeah, raised. We, yeah, we can help people in that, right? That's good. Yeah. yeah. I, my big shtick here, my passion point is that as spiritual people, people of the Holy Spirit, we do need spiritual language. So I, I really like the point that um, we, there are unique, redemptive roles each of the persons of the Trinity are playing in salvation history. Yeah. And we can, we can identify those and talk about them. Yeah. And at the same time, they're not going to be mad if you, mix, if you get it wrong. No. No. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Correct. Um, all right. Let's go to the next one. It seemed that you were saying John's baptism was about independence and self-righteousness. If that is the case, then why would Jesus be baptized by John? Wouldn't it make more sense to say that John's baptism is about repentance and the Holy Spirit's baptism about God, gracious forgiveness, and power? Yeah, I didn't... Uh, oh, John's baptism. So what I wanted to say and worked really hard to say, can't actually remember if I said it. Uh, hopefully I said it. Uh, what I wrote down. Right. Um, I want to say that there was real spiritual value in John's baptism. He was calling people to repentance, and rightly so. Repentance, though, is also present in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to simply say that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and Christ's baptism, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is one of grace. Because... There was grace involved in John's baptism, and there was, uh, and there's certainly grace involved in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, what I want to say is that faith in Christ produces something, namely the pre- it opens us to the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that John's baptism did not open people. So when people came to be baptized by John, they were recommitting themselves to keeping the law and a life of obedience. And John Vandervelde and I, to be distinguished from John Baptist. <laughs> Not the baptizer. Right. John and I were talking before the podcast just about exactly what was going on in the first century with baptism. And it was a, it was a ritual cleansing often used for God-fearers who were outside 
ethnic Judaism in wanting to come into the Jewish faith. But it was also uh, an experience offered to those who had lapsed in their faith, Jews that had walked away from law-keeping and were coming back. So it's, it's a, it was a beautiful invaluable, and it had spiritual gravitas to it. Uh, John was not wasting his time, but it, it wasn't producing, it wasn't producing um, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the same, con- so confession today, confess that I'm sinful and Christ is Lord, and uh, turning from my sin and dependence on Jesus rather than dependence on myself uh, produces something wholly different as the spirit comes and enables that and the the law of God is written on my heart. The independence and self-righteousness that I talked about were reasons that people resist the baptisms of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They resist it because people, some people don't like the notion of I have to depend on Jesus or apart from him, I can do nothing. They want to stand on their own two feet. So that's the juxtaposition I was trying to offer there is some people actually resist the baptism in Christ's name, receiving the Holy Spirit because they want to stand on their own. Mm-hmm. But repentance is a part of both baptisms. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because <clears throat> I tried to do this at, I, so I preached at Poplar. Our sermons were pretty different. They were. Because the assigned text was one through 20 <laughs> and I went through 20. I just... Somebody yes. understood the <laughs> Somebody did the work they were supposed to do, and somebody did not. I, and honestly, I was watching your sermon, and you go, and we're going to read one through seven, and then you got done with seven, you go, and we're going to stop right there for today. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> That's not fair. Anyway, it, this group of men, this 12, these 12 guys, about 12, by the way, yeah. they, somebody couldn't really fully count is such a unique group. I liked what you had to say in that the, the, the move of the Spirit in the books of Acts is a unique move. Yeah, and this is such a unique category of people. There were probably, probably several in this camp of like they'd been baptized by John or people had been baptized by John went out and said, hey, we need to get, you need to do this baptism. Yeah, John's disciples. Under, yes, yeah. right, under John, not knowing fully about Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you have this unique group. In fact, if you go back to 18, uh, chapter 18 at the very end, um, which we hadn't, we didn't cover from the pulpit of either pulpit at any point, but Apollos <laughs> comes to Ephesus with a knowledge of the scripture, yep. instructed in the way of the Lord, spoke with great fervor about Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So it's highly likely, again, we don't know this for sure, highly likely that these 12 dudes were part of the synagogue in Ephesus, that they were Old Testament saints, following the Old Testament. Apollos had said, hey, guys. You need to be dunked. There's this John guy, and he's preparing the way of the Lord. For the Messiah. For the Messiah. And they knew about... Yeah. John from Apollos got baptized in John, but didn't but because Paulos didn't have a full understanding, mm-hmm. Paulus goes to Corinth, is instructed by Priscilla and Aquila fully in the in the ways of the Lord. Mm-hmm. It becomes a major uh church leader, mm-hmm. Paulus does. He goes off to Corinth. So. But he was not fully formed yet <laughs> when he came to Ephesus and he taught some things in his in um blissful ignorance. He mm-hmm. didn't know yeah. about all these things. He hadn't learned yet. This is this unique transition, this unique book of Acts, this transitional book that moves As us the church is getting established from sure. the foundations of the church into what is now the way, the church, this new movement. New movement isn't the right word. This continuation movement, right, of what God has been doing. And you have Acts transitioning us from the historic age, through Jesus, now to the church age. And you have these unique stories that happen. And we're like, what do we, what is that? Because people have taken... Yeah, we're going to get to that. Yeah. yeah. No, go ahead. I mean, it, Well, people have taken this unique experience with these 12 guys in a unique place under the teaching of Apollos in this pagan city, not knowing... In a transition period. In a transitional period and have made major doctrinal... 
right. statements about it and what is going on. And, I, and, and for, let's just go, we'll go to it and we'll probably have to hit it several times. But th- there are some who teach a theology of subsequence. That is, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, and that, but subsequently you also have to be, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we do not teach that at Glowing Bible Church. We teach there's, there's not two baptisms, one by immersion in the name of Christ, and then a subsequent baptism where the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit comes upon you. We do not teach that. Um, there's a lot of unique things that happen with these 12 guys. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, I would caution against making prescript, prescriptive um, decisions and statements. Yeah based on what happened in this unique place with these unique people, to say things like, well, now, okay, you know Jesus, you've been baptized in water, now we're going to lay hands, lay on, you. hands on you and give you the Holy Spirit, and, you're gonna and speak it will in be tongues. evidenced by tongues. Yeah, that's called evidentialism. We don't teach that at Glowing Bible Church either, that you have to evidence particular gifts to demonstrate that you've received the Holy Spirit. That's classic Pentecostal theology. Mm-hmm. It's, right. You're saying it's just unique to this time, it is to unique. this group. I, okay, so <laughs> I would say, can God move like this? <laughs> Heck yes. Mm-hmm. He'd moved this way. Mm-hmm. He acted this way. Yeah. But the breadth of Scripture in the New Testament tells us that that's not how it always Even works. Even in the book of Acts, it doesn't always work that way. Exactly. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, the Spirit of God drops on the room at Cornelius' house. They speak in tongues before they get baptized. Right. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, oh my gosh, these Gentiles have received the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. What are we to do? He says, well, I guess we baptize them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would caution against making statements about how the Holy Spirit always works yeah. based on what's going on in Acts because it's such a unique... Mm-hmm. We don't run into people who... I mean, you talked about kind of the modern version of John's baptism, but we don't run into anybody today that was baptized just under John's baptism. Mm-hmm. John's, John, the character of John, plays such a unique mm-hmm. role. I mean, he's prophesied by Isaiah, that person, yeah. to do exactly what he did to pave the way for the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And now you have people that are out underneath his baptism, out in the world. Mm-hmm. It's just a unique mm-hmm. situation, a unique time, a unique place. And, you know, like I said, the, the breadth of the New Testament, the rest of the New Testament, all, almost all of Paul's writings, when he does talk about the Holy Spirit, he talks about the Holy Spirit coming when you, you, you believe mm-hmm. and being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Because, at the time of faith. At the time of faith. And that's instructive. So that is prescriptive versus just descriptive. Yeah, yeah if you want, those, the prescription is if you want the Holy Ghost, if you want the helper, the advocate, the presence of God with you, then believe in Christ, in Jesus, who paved the way. Yeah. You have some, did, Simone. Did you, well, I was, no, did you answer the question as to why Jesus <laughs> was baptized by John? Yeah, Jesus says why he was baptized by John. Let's he skip says this part. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Jesus says it's to fulfill, to fulfill. all righteousness, yeah. and there's a lot of debate over what that means. Okay. But it's a ton of debate why Jesus got baptized. So, yeah, there's a. So I would say my understanding of why Jesus was baptized by John was because John was calling people to law keeping. Confess, repent, and Jesus is the perfect law keeper, right. and so he's gonna he's gonna say it's basically. My sense is Jesus saying, yes, I affirm John's ministry, and I affirm the law. I am a son of the law. I'm going to keep the law perfectly. And I think that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Because he clearly didn't have to repent. Of right, right, right. I and just I, thought he was modeling it for us. It, okay, good. That's, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, I would be fine. I yeah. have valid, yeah. valid mm-hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. There's a, lots of things that we do mm-hmm. to help people come to faith mm-hmm. and repent mm-hmm. and well, I can think of a very specific time where my stepdad later in life was meeting with his pastor who said, have you been baptized? Have you ever considered being baptized? Because my stepdad was saying, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm fine with my life. Anyway, and the pastor said, well, consider being baptized. And he says, show me in scripture where I need to be baptized. And he pulls out the Bible and he says, well, look, Jesus was baptized. And then my stepdad went and got baptized. It's works. Awesome. It's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our next baptism, which, which to be clear, was not his salvation. Right? No, no right. right. It was, it was his, his modeling, mm-hmm. and it was the obedience. And then in Matthew twenty-eight, he says, "Go and baptize in the name of the Father, right, and Son, and the Holy right. Spirit." Glowing Bible Church's next baptism is April 9th. Cool. Get baptized. On All Easter. campuses. Yeah. That's so cool. I also think that extra power. I also think. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I, <laughs> I also think that um, that Jesus was affirming the ministry of John. 
that at fulfilling all righteousness is also, I think, a way of saying doing everything that was prophesied about yeah. him and about the events that would lead to showing us that he was the Messiah. Yeah. I think he was a firm, there was an affirmation of John's ministry, what John was calling people to, repentance and preparing the way of the Lord. I don't know. It's a lot of... It's good stuff. All right. Well, while we're talking about baptism, let's let's hit this one. We kind of touched on it, but how do you distinguish between baptism by immersion, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and salvation? Yeah, so let's start with salvation. I would say that's most critical. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ, apart from anything we do. That's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, right? So salvation comes as the Lord works in our hearts a belief that Christ is who he says he is and did what he said he, he accomplished all that scripture says he accomplished. So uh, that's salvation. It's a faith in another man's work. Baptism by immersion is a public identification with the man you're trusting to save you, Jesus. And so going under the water is uh, a public acknowledgement that Christ was buried, that he died and was buried, and he died as a sacrifice for my sins. That's it's a very personal uh, testimony. And then coming up out of the water is a public testimony that you're depending on his resurrection for eternal life. Just as Christ was raised, we'll be raised. And so we're actually, we baptize folks in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism, you're raised to eternal life. And we're quoting scripture there. So salvation is through faith in Christ, Immersion is a picture of our faith in Christ. And then the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which Jesus says, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, in a few days. John baptized with water, but soon you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That baptism means you'll be immersed in the Holy Spirit. You'll be inundated. You'll be overwhelmed. You'll be, the Spirit will be with you. It's, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a way to describe how the Spirit's going to come to those who have faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the word, the Scripture says baptism, so it's not like I can say, well, we got to get rid of that word. Yeah. But it has, um, it has some strange connotations t- to it because of water baptism. So it's almost like, um, like I, I would use the word... So that you're saying there's a breadth of meaning to this. Yeah, yeah. so I would, use, I would probably use the word the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Later in the same passage, Acts 1, he says you'll, you know, he'll come upon, upon you. you. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I would do that just to help those who are uh, feeling like there's another public mm, event. Subsequence. That needs to take right. place. Yeah to complete the, the conversion process, right? And Pentecostalism teaches that. We right. want to be, we're very careful not to teach that. Right. So to say baptism by the Holy Spirit, um, if, you, if you were to Google that and watch a YouTube video on what that looks like, that's a very, um, that language for me brings up a whole lot of things that, that we don't, uh, believe that we're careful or pra- to avoid. Yeah, practice. So just to, to to nuance it a little bit, I would say there's a there's a moment of of uh, justification, and in your moment of justification, you re- you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to you, fills you in a way that is powerful, and you acknowledge it and you know it, um, and and then you late you would later maybe maybe immediate. Uh, immediately after that or days after that or months after that or could be even years after that where you say, now I want to publicly be, be baptized. We would encourage you to do that as, as soon as you can. Yeah. As, as soon as it, you know, if, uh, available, come and, and be baptized as a proclamation of what God has done in your life, who Christ is, and that you are, you're with him. John, you mentioned that in your sermon yesterday and um, calling people to, to come and get baptized, and you, you tagged at the end of it, uh, even if you <laughs> were baptized as an infant but haven't yeah. made the decision, can you nuance that a little bit yeah. on, on why if somebody was baptized as a child or a baby, um, a baby, 
and and maybe then later in life became a Christian, has the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. Like, let's just assume this person is um, yeah. is saved. Uh, why would they need then to proceed with uh, baptism? Yeah, I think the the strongest argument. So I was baptized as an infant, and then I was baptized again in high school on a yep. missions trip. Yeah, and I was too. Yeah, not and, on. Later on in life. Right. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I went round and round when I was uh, college, post-college. I even had this phase where I was going to renounce the adult baptism because of my strong covenantal theology that I was <laughs> believing in <laughs> as a college student where I was like, no, I didn't need to have that second baptism. My initial baptism was a symbol of God's faithfulness to me. And people believe that. What? Yeah. That's fine. So I don't renounce my second baptism, I, like some have. I, but, I, can, I can tell you right now with 100% certainty that when I was at Kansas State University, the words covenantal theology <laughs> never, not one time, ever came out of my mouth. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, uh, anyway. So, okay, go on, go on. So uh, being baptized as, a, as an infant... Um, there's no, there's no scriptural evidence that infants were, were baptized. There's only scriptural incidents and stories of adults being baptized. Um, those who have come to a knowledge and a belief in, in Christ, right? So I would say that that's the strongest reason to be baptized as a believer. We, it's called believer's baptism. And Man, I, but I, I mean, I, I can tell you right now, I can argue you know, back and forth about the validity of infant baptism, why we do it and why it's okay and why you can be a covenantal theology, have covenantal theology and believe in that and all that. Personally, though, and I think as a church, we would say that baptism wasn't what Scripture was calling us to as, yeah. as an infant. That being baptized as an adult is... is yeah. um, you know, I, or, or not an adult. Sorry, being baptized as a a believer, a, as a believer who's knowing and recognizing that they're Making coming to a faith decision. in Christ. Babies you don't could, make decisions. Yeah, you could be six. Yeah, I you was five. To, yeah, you don't have to be an adult. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was twenty, I think twenty-seven or whatever I was. Um, but um, for me, it was it was Jesus saying, "Hey, if you acknowledge me in front of men, I'll, I will acknowledge you in front of the Father." and so that for me, it was like, well, this is the ultimate acknowledgement opportunity yeah. to acknowledge in front of the church that I was at that, man, Jesus is, yeah. he's my savior and I'm going to acknowledge him. Now, to be clear, I didn't think, nor do I think now, uh, I didn't force God's hand there. Like, now you yeah. have to say, no, me. it's not that it's that because <laughs> <laughs> right, I got wet. Right, like, Come on, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to live up to your end of the bargain here. Um, no, it's, it's that I did that because God was at work already yeah. in my heart. Yeah. It was a yesterday, uh, the Lord, it's, it's great to get to teach God's word. Um, because sometimes while teaching God's word, you learn, <laughs> I, I, would, I say that with tongue in cheek. I always, I'm yeah. so many times I'm in up on the platform behind the pulpit and things are occurring to me and baptism. The beauty of baptism is the beauty of saying, I'm no longer depending on myself. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I'm just, I'm at my end. I'm yeah. depending on, on what God's done for me in Christ. It's, for me, it continues to minister to me. Uh, and all the disciplines that I've historically said, I'm going to I'm gonna demonstrate my spiritual strength. God's shifting, and I'm seeing disciplines more as disciplines of cultivating greater dependence, not independence and, and, and independent strength. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> do, <laughs> all right. Do people really feel aware of the Holy Spirit, aware of his presence? All right. So it's a great question. Yeah. You know? I, and, and my answer, John and I were talking about this a little before and John goes, I hope so. You know, I hope so. So I would just simply say the Holy Spirit's a person. So one God with three distinct persons, which is to say personalities, character. You know, the Spirit has a will. The Spirit's volitional. He's trying to accomplish something in the world. It's, it's the Spirit of God that's at work in our hearts and in our minds and growing us and drawing us to himself. So the Spirit's a person. So it is safe to say we can be aware of another person. Yeah, that's um, a good way to put it. Yeah. I and, think- and, and often it, it may be emotional, 
Mm-hmm. And in our tradition, the Bible church tradition, has some reservation about showing emotion and experiencing emotion in worship. I don't have as much reservation. I, I'm often tearful in worship, and I feel moved. And a, a Sunday I was down front thinking, it's going to be really hard to preach if you're crying, Kelly. Mm-hmm. You, you need to, it's hard to preach through tears. You need to suck it up here, buttercup, <laughs> and get ready to preach. That's self-talk. Wow. <laughs> yeah, self-talk. Self-talk's great, isn't it? <laughs> You big pansy, why are you crying again? You're so, sending conflicting messages right now. I know, now. <laughs> I know. It's just, so we're not comfortable with emotion, but I do think, I know, God gave emotion. Right. And when the Spirit comes, you read the the historic work of God moving in, uh, in communities through cultures like the Great Awakening, there was a lot of emotion. Now, is all emotion of God? No. But is is it is it... More godly to be without emotion? No. Yeah, right. I I sort of made a 180 on this in my own life, but the older I get, the more uncomfortable I get with less emotion. Emotionlessness. Emotionlessness. The more uncomfortable I get with emotionlessness, whether that's for me or the church at large or whatever, like, I just, I start to get a little uncomfortable with it, like... (laughs) Nothing? Nothing going on here? You got nothing? You got nothing. Yeah. Six months in a row? Right. You know, a year, two years, three years, nothing. No emotion. Yeah, I think we should be concerned. Good point. To me, it's a little, it could be a little bit of an indicator. You know, like how I'm, um, you don't have to be a sap. You don't have to come in and. Like I am. (laughs) I am sappy. But man, no emotion. That that just feels counter human, Mm. counter relationship with God, counter, I don't know, like. Mm -hmm. And and the more that I spend time in the scriptures, especially the Psalms, mm. the more that that viewpoint seems valid mm-hmm. and backed up and scriptural. And mm-hmm. and the range of emotion, all the emotions can be there. You know, I mean, I've experienced a oh, righteous. Uh, I that's go ahead. <laughs> that's very like. <laughs> I've been angry hmm. at things that I should be angry about because the like Holy Spirit, yes, or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have felt, all right, I don't feel good about what, what's going on in the world as, we're, as Kelly or who, a pastor is reading a, reading a text and, and we're, we're going into the text and, I'm, and I feel, I have felt anger about wanting to do something, wanting to be motivated, wanting to change something, wanting to do something. It's not always tears. And you all know I cry pretty easily. So it can be tears, but the tears are not all... Tears can be a manifestation of a lot of different feelings you have inside. Um, You know, so... And sometimes tears make people uncomfortable. So in today's passage, Acts 19, they uh, receive the Holy Spirit and they speak in tongues and they prophesy. I th- so the question asked, can I feel the Holy Spirit? Well, they clearly felt something because yeah. they opened their mouth. Tongues is to speak in an unknown, unstudied language. And so they're opening their mouths, uh, perceivably, never having spoken in tongues before yeah. or prophesied before. And so they felt something welling up within them. In fact, I've heard from a number of people, I heard just this week, this morning, from someone who said, I'm so thankful for this teaching because I have this overwhelming urge to speak in an unknown language and I've wondered what it is. I felt like, am I losing my mind? And I've <laughs> That's really cool. Yes. It's really so, cool. And it's it's often but not always people that speak in tongues are also called to the ministry of prayer. Everybody's to pray, but some people have a ministry of prayer. Yeah. Everybody's to evangelize, but somebody some have the gift of evangelism. Yeah. So Anyway, they felt something, so they opened their mouth and began to prophesy. Mm-hmm. So I just want to say to, to the question at, at hand here, do people really feel aware of the Holy Spirit? I would say yes. Um, aware of his presence, I would say yes. I would say if you know Jesus, you're following Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you're saved, and you don't feel aware of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not there. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you need somebody to come put hands on you so that you feel the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right, yeah. 
what I would say is I don't think that that's the way that you want to continue in faith. That's a great pastoral word, John. It's so thank, good. Thank you, Kelly. It, well, it's just... It's really helpful. Let's come put the mics me. aside and hug. Wait, wait, finish. Okay, so spirit, can you just calm down a little bit? So first? I would say, <laughs> if that's where you're at, that you can ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Make me aware of you. Make me, I want to feel you. I want to know when you're moving. That is a time when you can pray to the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and say, Holy Spirit, I know you're there. I know you're in my life. I want to be guided by you. I want to be helped by you. I want to be prodded by you. I, I want to, to pray to leadings. you. And the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like a volume dial. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have it turned down mm-hmm. because the volume knobs of everything else in our life are, turn, great are turned up. <laughs> and, so, and so we... We have to turn down the volume of other things sometimes. Yeah, exactly. We have to turn down the knobs of other things and turn up the knob of the Holy Spirit so that we can feel His presence, hear His voice, be moved in Him, um, operate under His leadership. If I'm watching a bunch of crap on television, I have trouble hearing Mm-hmm. sensing and being aware of the Spirit, mm-hmm. sure. to give an example. Yeah. You were gonna say I was just going to say that, you're, what I hear you saying, there's also a chance there's sin in your life that, that you need to repent of and repent from that's keeping you from hearing from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yes. When people say things like, don't, oh, what's the word? Quench? Quench. <laughs> I never say that word. There's so you know, many Christian words. Quench? Quench. Um, don't, I wanted to say squelch. Is well, that the same? Same idea. Same idea. <laughs> Help me with English. Smush. Use your words. Uh, yeah. um, bridle, I think is an uh, right? Don't, don't. Um, uh, anyway, it, it, we can do that, yeah. right? We can have sin in our lives or whatever it may be. I mean, there's, there's a lot of... Um, First Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So what would that look like? Well... I can see it looking a lot like turning up a whole lot of other knobs of volume in your life, things that are moving you and directing you, and and you're, you know, you've you've kind of put that voice of the Holy Spirit, you've made it quiet. So whenever somebody comes to me and says, I just don't know if the Holy Spirit's in my life, I just don't feel moved by the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit, I often ask, what are you involved in? It could also, sorry. It could also be more than, and this is a whole nother conversation, but it could also be more than sin you're committing. It could also be sin that was committed it, onto you. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm this just saying. such good stuff. It really is. please talk more about that? Well, yeah. I, I, what, that's what? about all I got. I'm no. just, I'm, but it is, it is something to recognize that there is, there are sins that were done to you, whatever you, you know, however that could look. That We could be the victims of other mm, people's sinfulness. Right. That is, that is keeping you locked in a certain area of your life or you're not, you haven't healed from that, or you don't even know, you don't have the language to even describe something that's happened mm-hmm. to you, or you're not even remembering it. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's what feels so slippery about this conversation is because oh, yeah. sometimes you don't, it's scary to ask God to help you see, especially childhood trauma that's been, that was done to you that you were a victim of. And I'm, I'm, but you want the freedom. You, you want are, the freedom. You're and so, so right. This exists. This yeah. happens. It's 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 probably more common than we're even a, a free like feel free to talk about. Well, yeah. in our generation, I tell you, the generation that's behind us, my kids' yeah. generation, they are they have mental health language. Yeah, and they'll talk more about I, I'm not my head. I'm not in a good headspace. I need to work through some issues. Yeah, that's great. That and and that and I want to encourage. That. I also want to say that it can that I wouldn't necessarily recommend exploring this. If, if you know that it's, it's severe, and I know there's a spectrum of severity, but I would really encourage you to do it in community with either a pastor mm-hmm. or a trusted person that you know can be safe for you. Can and, walk you out of the yeah, woods. And a professional, if, if it's that yeah, I worked through childhood serious. trauma, and I've shared before, and I think it's, I'll share it again, only because I think our, the congregation, we need to hear this. I worked through childhood trauma with counselors. Yeah. And then uh, men who would pray with me as I, when you're sinned against, it can create patterns of sinfulness Absolutely. in your life. And yeah. so I, yeah. I had patterns of sinfulness to cope with historic of wounds. Course. Yes. So we, Simone, I just love that. And so the spirit of God l- leads us into freedom and joy. Mm-hmm. But to get there, we have to process those wounds. Mm-hmm. The spirit wants to heal those wounds. So we yeah. have to address those wounds. A, a question that's helpful to 
to explore this. And I literally just had this conversation with some close girlfriends. If, if there is a behavior in your life today that you're frustrated with, that feels repetitive and you can't break it, an, a good question to take before the Lord is where is this root? Where is this coming from? And allowing the spirit to reveal to you, mm-hmm. there's some more there. You mm-hmm. got to dig a little deeper and then use discernment as to whether or not that has to be done in a professional setting, a pastoral setting, personally. I mean, the Lord can heal you right where you are. You don't have to have all these other tools, but just to be mindful of what that could look like and what that journey is. But yeah, and I usually, well, and I usually tell, I say to people, it takes a team Mm -hmm. to bring healing. So on the team, I I often, if the wounds are significant and so if the wounds are significant, I need on my team, I need a counselor. Mm -hmm. I need a pastor. I need a trusted friend. I need my small group. I need Sunday morning worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's so important to explore it because the power that you're describing, I'm actually mesmerized by the depth of what you two are, you two, Matt, but I mean, they really studied this passage this week. Well, <laughs> so yeah. it's like, this is really good. <laughs> like I'm just hey, sitting dude, back listening. Hey, thanks for being yeah. here though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read the questions. <laughs> I didn't want to leave you out. <laughs> However, they are they are uh, producing most of the words today. Um, yeah, lots of so words. Lots of words. Anyway, but it's so important. You're describing what it looks like to live out your faith in the fullest, and that is spirit filled. And mm-hmm. so, if you're not feeling that, yeah. then 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 there is something to do about it. Instead of just like, oh, I don't feel the spirit. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm hearing you guys say, and you're encouraging believers to live the fullest, most abundant life that Jesus yep. has for you. Amen. Mm-hmm. And before we go on to the next one, um, ahead, a, final, a final thought. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be helpful or not. Um, <laughs> it, Question four. Um, <laughs> no, it, uh, you know, we were talking a minute ago about like the emotion and the spirit coming and, and like, do some people fake it? Yeah, oh, of yeah. course. Should right. that stop you from engaging with it? Absolutely not. Yeah. Like, so what? So I that people to, fake it. Like, just on the, on the comic side of church and, in our tradition, the Bible church tradition has, has really funny slash sad, you know, cultural things to laugh at. Yeah. But I have friends who grew, I grew up in a more Pentecostal church and people would fake oh, speaking totally. in tongues. I know so they would, several they people. would spell out Coca-Cola, C-O-L, I can't even, Coca-Cola. C-O-C-A-C-O-L-A. And so they would, they would spell it out in kind of a, and it would sound like gibberish so that, the, the adults doing the teaching would leave them alone. And think that they had the Holy Spirit. There's something important that we needed, that we have to distinguish that we didn't distinguish though. Sorry. So we talked about coming to faith in Christ. You know what I'm going to say. Coming to faith in Christ, Holy Spirit indwells you immediately. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're saved. Yes. Then there's this water baptism. Could be immediate, could be down the road a little ways. Yeah. Then there, so, so those are the things that this person has. But you have talked about the spiritual gifts, the receiving and the practicing of spiritual gifts mm-hmm. has, come, has just come up. That the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does not mean that you receive charismatic mean, spiritual gifts. Okay, so let's, all so, gifts are supernatural. Right, let me finish. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Could the pastor be The Holy quiet? Spirit gives you spiritual gifts and the range of spiritual gifts, and we've talked about this, they're all throughout scripture. There's different types of spiritual gifts. You may have a, when we've gone through this before and there's different teachings on the spiritual gifts, but the Spirit gives you the ability to have certain gifts or to use certain gifts you have for kingdom purposes. Amen. So, we need to be careful that the indwelling does not mean, or the receiving of the Holy Spirit at your conversion does not mean all of a sudden (laughs) you're able to do um, things you've never thought of before, never done before. There are some who will receive gifts of the Spirit that are um, what we would call supernatural, or uh, charismatic, sorry. Yeah. All right, so when... um when you receive the Spirit, the Spirit does impart gifts. Um, we don't get to pick our gifts. 
He, he, he is deciding who gets what gifts and not everybody gets the gifts of tongues. That's my biggest pet peeve with Pentecostalism. Mm-hmm. They're saying, no, everybody gets this gift. And I just don't see that in the text. I see, no, the spirit gives manifestations to, he picks the gifts. Mm-hmm. He's sovereign. But I, we, you, you well, also Paul, have to learn. Paul even says, I wish uh, that you all could speak in tongues. Right? He does, but even more that you would prophesy. Yeah, he says, right. So doesn't that imply that not everybody's but exactly right. <laughs> Every, not everybody's got that gift? Just and yeah. it's also important to note that Paul gives a lot of instruction on the use of spiritual gifts, which we're not getting into in this podcast. But to to say like we say things like we are open but cautious mm-hmm. with the spiritual gifts. So we we aren't cessationists saying that they don't exist at all, but we're very cautious in their use yeah. and practice. Because of their abuse. Because of their abuse and because of Paul's instructions for the gathering of believers that is all throughout his writings in the New Testament. Yeah. And not just Paul, but I should also say when you receive a gift and you begin to identify it thinking, I think I've received this gift, you have to actually practice its utilization. So if someone walks up to me and says, hey, I, I have the gift of teaching. I'd like to preach next Sunday. We're probably going to say, hey, glad that you think you have the gift of teaching. Start over here, one-to-one, one-to-a-few, before you go to one-to-many. So there's this growing in God's gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I wanna, let's, go to this, um, awesome. let's go to the next question, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask it in my own words. It's the same question. John, earlier you were talking, and you in your sermon yesterday, you talked a lot about pr- the difference between prescriptive and descriptive passages, and Kelly talks about it a lot too. Mm-hmm. And so I think this probably this question was probably asked from someone at Poplar. Um, if you do attend Poplar, you you're going to hear this a lot um, that some passages are prescriptive and some passages are descriptive. Um, number one, what does that mean exactly? Number two, couldn't that be a little dangerous? And who decides what is descriptive and what is prescriptive? I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, that's a, it's a great, it's a great question. It has to do often, um, with the genre of the book that, that we're wrestling with. So we need to go, if we look if we're looking at a specific verse, we need to place that verse in its context. What is it what was the purpose of the verse? What was the author's intent? We believe that all scripture is inspired, that authors were um, inspired by God to write what they wrote, but that we believe that they wrote it in, a, in their time and often in their, the language of their, not only just the actual language, so Hebrew, um, but the, the, the language of the day, the way that people spoke and understood in their, in their day. So it's important to understand those things when looking at a specific part of the Bible to say, well, what does this mean? So what did it mean for its original audience? What was the author's intent? What culture did they live in? What might they have been addressing in their world at that, at that time? So that's one thing. So things that are written um, explaining events are often descriptive if there's an de- explanation of event that's, that's consistent, though, we can start to say, oh, okay, that event is, ex- th- when this happened, it is explained this way. Oh, and then it happened again, and it's, and it's explained the exact same way. And it happened again, oh, it's explained the exact same way. Oh, it happened again, explained the exact same way. Then, um, then we can start to say, well, maybe that is the, a prescriptive takeaway mm-hmm. from descriptive events. If the event is, is a one-off, if it's a unique thing that happens and it isn't supported by other events or other um, types of scripture, then I, me and other, you know, scholarship would say um, that that's likely just a descriptive event. Is there truth we can glean from it? Most likely there is something to, to glean from it that's beneficial for, um, for our modern um, lives, but it isn't a necessarily prescriptive. Um, With the book of Acts chapter 19 and the, the things going on there, one of the reasons we say it's descriptive and not prescriptive is because there are things going on there that, that um, um, in the balance of the book of Acts, different things are happening in the same uh, setting. So, for, yeah. you know, so for example, Paul's not present, 
So if it's prescriptive, then did Paul have to be present every time the tongue, gift of tongues came? Well, clearly that's not the case. Right. So it's simply describing Paul's presence, his role right. in, in Ephesus. So but, another good one would be, a good example would be demon possession. So I know we're going <laughs> to... So Paul... Do you guys recording a podcast? Paul interacts with people who are, who are possessed by an evil spirit. So the girl, just a few chapters before mm-hmm. 19, again, we hear about demon possession. So it's in multiple, multiple places throughout the book of Acts where he interacts with people who are filled with or overtaken by or operating in a, a demonic or evil spirit possession. So the takeaway is not that, take Acts 19, for example, that you will have superhuman strength. The demonic possession means that you can beat seven grown men in a fight. That that's, happened later in Acts, that's right? Ha- uh, well, it happened in the text that was assigned for the Sunday. But that Kelly did not get to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the takeaway is, okay, I see that throughout Paul's ministry and throughout the New Testament, people are possessed by evil spirits, by demons, and they can be freed of that. That's the takeaway. Love it. Not that it always happens it this way. It always happens this way yeah. with this, you know, this um this chant <laughs> or whatever given yeah. and yeah. then they're released or okay, okay, well this person's super strong, they must be possessed by a demon. So, Does one that of the make things sense? it's yeah. excellent. So. One of the things that I I often, um, well, I've said to my kids, I've said it, it, does a, it does a disservice to the people of God to overstate what we know, and it does a disservice to the people of God to understate what we know. We need to state the truth plainly. And so it would be an overstatement to say this is always, Acts 19 is normative, yeah. this is always how it happens. But it'd be an understatement to say, well, the Spirit can never work this way anymore. Right, right. right. So good. it takes some work to to glean the points of application for the modern church. Lots of great resources out there to help you in understanding genre, author intent, um, uh, cultural situations. The breadth those, of meaning for Greek words. Yes. So. Right. Right. You, you don't need to do those things, though, no. to know who Jesus is and to be saved by him. Right. The scripture can have you, meaning and purpose, but it is helpful you can go deeper with As some a, study. Right. Yep. Right. That's good. All right. Last one. I love the confession and repentance we see from the people of Ephesus. I love the passion for having a gospel culture church. What does that look like in practice here in DuPage County? Boom. Mm-hmm. Gospel culture is something that the pastoral staff are processing right now. And so it's, it's something we're talking about among ourselves. And it's one thing to have gospel doctrine. We're saved by grace through faith apart from anything we do. And all people are sinful in need of God's grace. That's gospel doctrine. God has shown his love towards us perfectly. He's welcomed us into the family. We want to be a church with both gospel uh, doctrine and culture. We want to be a caring, merciful, gracious, loving, kind church, one to another. And it's, it's possible to have gospel doctrine without gospel culture. I've been a part of churches, and I've had seasons in my own life where I was through gritted teeth saying, God loves you. you know? <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> Act like this then. Right, right, right. So, I mean, if we're not careful, we need to let our gospel doctrine um, permeate every aspect of our culture. Mm-hmm. It's a good word. Yeah. It shows up in this passage really clearly towards the, the end of the, as of the we assigned get, passage. Yeah, as we get to, <laughs> to, to verse 20. So Jesus is held up in high honor. He's held, he, people are afraid of what is all going on in Ephesus. And the response is, let's hold up Christ in high, Jesus is held in high honor. And the next verse is, and people came and confessed all that they had done. Mm. And then the next group of people or, or that group, they took their scrolls, which were full of evil and demonic sorcery and all these sorts of things. The value is $5.5 million in modern day money. And they said, let's burn all this. So they, they have this radical confession and this radical repentance. Mm-hmm. And to me, those are, that's what gospel culture looks like. Mm-hmm. So the doctrine, the teaching, and the, the, how the Holy Spirit was moving in Ephesus, we hold on to that truth and we see that the, the way that that truth moved people was this confession and repentance. So a gospel culture is one that is full of, I believe, 
confession and repentance. Yeah. People yeah. should feel free to confess here at church and and to be moved to repent of the things that they had been a part of, right? And um, or want to be free from and never return to. And if we're saved by grace, you know, we love because Christ first loved us, right? Or Romans fifteen seven, you know, welcome each other as Christ has welcomed you. Yeah. Mm. Oh. yeah gospel culture really will start to take effect when those folks that brought their stuff and burned it go back to their communities. And how do they treat the other folks who haven't brought their stuff and burned yeah. it? Like right. that's where gospel culture really right. starts to right, you know. right. And and there's there. Let's just admit it. Sometimes in our churches, in our culture, we can say, "Well, we love confession and repentance," and it's like, but not that stuff, right? Like we don't want to hear about that, or we don't want to. Like if you're doing that, you should probably keep that private. We want to be. A church that says no. Let's get all of it out. Let's deal with all of it. Let's, let's be check patient our, and kind with each other. Let's check our bags at the door, and let's let's just be free and hear each other and love each other and be filled with grace towards each other because that's how Christ was with us. Yeah. Not that we're sa- we're compromising any doctrine or truth. In fact, that informs how we love and care for each other. All right, it's a good one. That's all the questions we have for you today. If you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast, 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him, and our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.